Well, good morning. Would you follow along with me as we finish Romans 15, verse 23. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and I have made sure that they, that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that uh, you've given us the Holy Spirit to guide us in all truth. I pray that my words are clear that they bring you glory and honor, burn off whatever doesn't do those things. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this text, as we look at Romans chapter 15, Romans 14 and 15, we've been on this journey, we've been looking at some of the conflicts within these little Roman churches at the time, and we'll get there, but I want to ask you a question first. It's very personal. Are you a servant or are you selfish? That's a nice, friendly opening question. Is your life primarily about giving or is it about getting? What is your first response when given opportunities to serve? As you may have heard, I have a granddaughter now. I've been cut off from showing any more pictures for a while. But one of the joys of having a granddaughter is having the opportunity to see my own daughter and son-in-law care for her. What a joy it is to see. If you have kids, maybe your kids have always been servants, have always been other-centered, even in the teenage years. the appropriate response. <laughs> Mine have not always been there. But to see my daughter and son-in-law grow as servants is just a beautiful thing. Now, as parents and, and taking care of little ones, that's a, that's a very natural thing to do. That's just what you do. You got, a, you got this five-pound, eight-ounce thing you got to take care of. And, and literally give of yourself and do that. But what, is that, what does that look like? And, and the challenge in God's Word today is how do we take on the mind of a servant? 
And what does that look like within the context of a church? How does that bring unity to the church and become a witness outside the church? Now, last week we had these four chairs, and I want to review this quickly, and I want to lean back into this because I think this is a critical message for our time, a time of division, a time of conflict, a time of people having a hard time, what is really true, how do we get along, what's most important. We're blessed with the clarity of God's Word that I believe can be very helpful. Last week, if you, if you caught the message, I had these four chairs out here, and what we, we said last week was this first chair was the chair of the essentials. This is the core. This is the gospel. This is the resurrection. This is what we believe about God's word, that it is true. It's authoritative. It is inspired. And we believe that there is more that unites us in the essentials than that which might divide us in things that are non-essential, whether it's politics, whether it's how we do church, traditions, those types of things. And what we said was, well, in Paul's day, there was the strong and the weak. There were the strong that those who found freedom in Christ and the the non-essentials did not rise to this level, and there was freedom. But for those who were weaker in faith, they tended to put things like, what type of meat do you eat? What do you drink? They put this in an essential chair rather than a non-essential chair. And part of the message of 14 and even into 15 is how do we interact with one another? And we said we did not want to be simply a posture of backs to one another, a posture of let me just learn more about my own position and convince myself that I am right, but how do we actually face one another, eyeball to eyeball, kneeball to kneeball, you don't have a knee ball, do you? Knee to knee. And have a conversation and actually listen. And actually say, what do you mean by that? Help me understand where you're coming from. We believe that in many ways that's a double click on what Paul was talking about in, in, even in the beginning of Romans 12 about genuine love. Love that is without hypocrisy. Love that is without ulterior motive. And then we hinted last week that there is this chair over here that is the chair of those who don't buy it, don't believe that this stuff is true, and are looking in. And part of what they see in the middle here sometimes can be so much conflict that rather than a window into the nature of who Jesus really is, it is a barrier, it is a roadblock to actually seeing who Jesus is. So one of our challenges, one of the challenges in Paul's day and the challenge for us today is in these matters here, how do we serve one another? How do we love one another in a way that unites and strengthens the church, the body of Christ, and draws people to, not away, from Christ. It's a big task. I believe Paul has a lot to tell us in Romans 15. And the example of 
Paul himself is very instructive because Paul himself has been on this journey. And I love what Paul says because Paul will often... (coughs) Paul's a teacher. Paul likes to talk about doctrine. He likes to talk about why these things are true. All these big words. Where where, Where are my students out there? You just like this stuff. Nobody. How many of you are like, oh, I feel like I'm in school. Stop it already. Some of you are there. Here's what I want you to see today. What, what Paul's getting at in this chair is not just what is true and why it's true and explaining it about the truth of who Jesus, but he is actually showing the example of who Jesus Christ is, the very nature of who he is. So it's not just an academic deal. Paul's going to say, look, And this is Paul's deal in all of his letters at some level. He's saying, look, follow me, follow my example, me, Paul, because I'm just an awesome guy and I have it all together. No, follow me, Paul, as I follow the example of Christ. So we want to look at this example of Christ this morning and see how this informs the way we interact within the church over disputable matters, over differences in secondary issues, and how that reflects or points to Christ. Are you with me so far? So wherever you are in your journey, whichever chair you sit this morning, God has good stuff for us today. So I want to break it down really in this way, okay? First of all, as we think about who Paul is, we see this tremendous example as he serves God's people as Jesus has served him. We see how Paul serves both the the Jewish Christian, the one who's rooted in all the tradition, and the Gentile Christian, the one who has had this newfound freedom in Christ, and he will seek to bring unity to the family. That's what Paul's about. So that as he serves in a tangible way, both to Christians in Jerusalem and expanding the gospel into Spain, we can learn from his example. So if you're an outline person today, we're going to talk about unity. We're going to talk about one mind. We're going to talk about one voice, one struggle, and one hope. But let me begin with verse 1. Paul says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. One of the challenges in this model, challenges us for, for us to think about today, is the alignment of your nature as a servant. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like really good in serving in some areas and maybe not so good in some others. So am I aligned at home, family, work, church, community? What does that alignment look like? And how far out does my heart of a servant go? Part of what's remarkable about what Paul does is he uses this language of neighbor. So it's not just about the strong and the weak, the Jewish believer, the Gentile believer in here, 
but it's also about my neighbor. Now, who is Paul's neighbor? Neighbor is a broad category. I think somebody asked Jesus about that. They said, hey, who is your neighbor? Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, and it was the, the religious people who passed by the wounded man, and it was the hated Samaritan, the one who would have been outside the fold, who acted in a way that was neighborly. So part of what I want us to see in this, in this model, in this text today, is that there is a servant's heart, a genuine love in action that extends all the way out to our neighbor. I believe, especially in this day and age, there's, there's nothing that draws people closer to Christ than an example of genuine love. I believe the converse is also true. It's the hypocrisy, it's the fighting, it's all that that repels. So, how do we grow in this? How does our attitude of being a servant become natural, become our first response, become the thing that we just do. Some of you know people like that. I know I look out at some of you, and you're that way. You just serve. You just respond in love because that's who you are. Just as my daughter would go feed her daughter, you just serve. You just give. That's what you do. I'm still in that battle sometimes where it's, sometimes it's hard. I've got to adjust my thinking. So let me give you some indicators today, some help in this process. First of all, we are to have one mind. One mind. Romans 15 verse 5 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, today when we think about what we believe, that matters. The essential doctrine matters. Who Jesus is, what we believe about the Bible, these things matter. To have the mind of Christ, though, is even more than that. It is even more than that. It is to look to Jesus himself as our example. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that we are to have, that Jesus himself took on the form or the very nature of a servant. So we look to Jesus for that example. We also look to the Word. In verse 4, Paul says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. We are to look to the Word. We are to look to all of the Scriptures for endurance and encouragement. God's Word still speaks to us today. Not just the passages we like, not just the little ones we stick on the fridge, but the whole deal. Old Testament and New Testament. After Romans, we're going to be in Jonah. We're going to bring in a huge whale. One of the beautiful things about the book of Jonah is it points to the resurrection. It points to Jesus. 
One of the ways we read the Bible and we look at the Old Testament is we see how the whole deal points to Christ, that it's centered on Christ. After the resurrection, we see Jesus walking with a couple of his disciples, and he says, don't you see that all the scriptures point to me? They're not just great moral lessons, but they actually point to Christ, and they increase our our hope, our endurance, our encouragement. So when you think about where is your mind at this morning, a good check, how do you respond when you're squeezed? You know what I mean by that. Something rubs you the wrong way. Maybe it's somebody in church. Maybe it's a circumstance. Maybe it's a job challenge. Whatever that may be, how do you respond when you're squeezed? There's a pattern of this world that says the whole thing is about me. That's what it's all about. My family, my needs. Jesus, I'll, get, I'll take a little bit from you. You're here to help me with my goals, my happiness, my dreams. I'm going to put you in my story. That's the pattern of this world. And a pattern of that, this world that can come into the church and say it's really not about the big story of the gospel. It's about my story and fitting the little Jesus in there. It's where a lot of our world is today. And we get squeezed, we get pushed from the outside, and what stands? So I want you to think about that this morning. How have you responded when you've been squeezed? Where did your mind go? What's your first thought? There's one voice in that same passage so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is this talking about? With one voice, how do we glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? I believe we call that worship. <laughs> we bring glory and honor to God when we come together by the way, isn't it good to just be together? Talked to somebody this morning, it was like, oh great, we've been watching online, it's, it's great to be back together. And I think there is something special about worshiping together, about actually singing together. Now, how many of you don't like to sing? Just be honest. Oh my goodness, we got problems. Matt raised his hand. I'm still scarred. I was cut from the fourth grade choir. But this is what Matt said. Matt said, Jason, give me five lessons and I can teach you to sing. I said, wow, we'll, we'll see about that. With God, all things are possible. <laughs> but there's something about coming together in worship that's not just receiving a talk, that's not just watching other people sing, but lifting our voices together to glorify our Lord. That brings us together. That brings us together. It matters. 
We got some baptisms next service from camp, high school kids. That's awesome. I know a lot of you were praying. One of the things that always warms my heart when I see camp, when I see kids worshiping and singing together. Sometimes we have to get them out of their environment and all these other things, and then they, you, you, you throw out all those extraneous things, and they're free to worship. And then having been on some of those camp experiences, you come back and you're like, oh, I missed that. How can we get that? Let's, let's sing together. And I'm like, how, how is it sometimes that um, our hearts are cold when we sing? You know, is your heart warmed when we gather and sing about the character of God, the depth of his love, the promise of eternity, all those truths? It's interesting, you can go to a, you go to a Pacer game, you go to a Colts game, you go to a high school football game, and if they play Sweet Caroline, boom, 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 right? Everybody's going to be doing this, right? Whether you like to sing or not, you, you'll see the crowds doing that. Why is it sometimes we're, we're a little bit cold, we're a little bit indifferent? Sometimes I don't know that we know the words to the song. I'm not sure we really, it's really there. And sometimes we don't think our voice really matters. Let me tell you today, your voice matters. Your voice matters. Every voice in here Every voice in here can bring glory and honor to God. We can talk about our singing. Worship is more than that. Paul says in Romans 15, 17, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. Other translations say, I have reason to be proud of my work in Christ. This means that I have reason to believe that my work, my life, pleases God, that it is worthy of his name. Not to earn my acceptance, but to express my gratitude. My work, then, is an act of worship. Whatever unique package God has given me, whatever my gifts, my talents, my passions, God is using those things. All these things that come from God for the church to be a witness here. So what is it that you give worth to this morning? To worship is to glorify God. It's more than just a, I think there's some neat ideas here. I think they're really cool stuff. It's to say that Jesus is more than my consultant. It's not just the best source of advice on the internet. It's more than that. It's ultimate worth. There's a love that when I see Jesus that just compels me. So what really drives you this morning? And then what picture are we showing to this chair? So we have one mind, we have one voice, we have one struggle. Romans 15, 30 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Paul invites the church to join him in his struggle. 
It says, pray for me. Pray for me. Join me in my struggle. Now, what's Paul's struggle? Well, he's got a couple of them. First of all, there's the struggle in here. There's the struggle that's saying Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, rich, poor, slave, free, male, female. How do, I put, how do we put this family of God together in love? Join me in this struggle. There's a real practical application here. If you are in conflict with somebody, right in here, and even as we think about not just facing away, but being knee to knee, eyeball to eyeball, let's pray for one another. It's difficult to be in conflict with somebody long term if you commit to pray for them. So today, who might be in that other seat within the church? Who might be in that other seat with somebody that you have a relationship with? And would you commit to simply pray? Pray for that person. Be a servant to them. If, if all this stuff is true, if that cross was really empty, if Jesus really rose, if all this stuff is really true and prayer really works, and my prayers can actually benefit somebody else, I think I ought to be praying a little bit more. Even for those that it's hard for me to do this to. It's really easy for me to pray for that grandbaby. That's not hard. But can we turn the chair and can we pray for those who might see things differently. So for Paul, Paul's on this journey. He's going to deliver this financial gift to the poor in Jerusalem. So one of the ways we come together in the middle is we give. Sacrificially, joyfully to support the needs of one another. It's just what we're about as followers of Jesus. It's really interesting, though, when we think about Paul's particular struggle. Paul's got these struggles here, but he's also, Paul's a church planner at heart. He's saying, I'm going west. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wave to you a little bit in Rome, but I'm going to Spain. I've got other things in mind. I've got somebody else going to finish the work here. I've got a bigger view to go here. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to go west. And here's the thing about this conflict here and this mission out here. The greater and the stronger and the more compelling this mission, the stronger we are in what we believe here in our actual relationship with Jesus, what happens to these conflicts in here? They go down a little bit. It was interesting before going into, you know, ministry at the church, taught at two different high schools. One high school faced tremendous economic challenges, tremendous, uh, just a tough school, tough situations. Another school, very affluent. I was the chair of two different English departments. Which school do you think had the most conflict about 
what books we ought to teach. <laughs> it wasn't where the mission was so clear and so compelling and so great. Didn't have time to worry about every single little thing. Kids are getting shot. They don't have food to eat. We need to teach them how to become better readers and learners so they can go to college and do these things. The clearer the mission, the clearer we are here, doesn't mean that these disputes in the middle don't matter. It just means they're not as important. Are you with me on that? Clearer here, more compelling here, easy to work together in here. Interesting the way Paul looks at this. Paul's such an encourager. Verse 14, I, am con- I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I, you got this. Let's go. He also says this in verse 16, yet I have written you boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. There's also speaking the truth in love. So in here, what do we do? We pray, we encourage, we speak the truth in love, and we give to the mission. That's the struggle. There's one struggle. We are all, believe it or not, on the same team. I don't think heaven is going to be made up of all these little pockets. I think we'll actually sing together and worship. Think about that one for a minute. Let me close with one hope. Verse 13. May the God of hope fill you. Fill you. Sometimes I'm really empty. Sometimes when I think about serving others, whether it's with here or here, I'm just out of gas. Sometimes I feel like I can serve and serve and serve, and then I have my limit. And then I can just be done. That's not a good thing. We are filled with the Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As you think this morning about where you are in your walk, where you are in your relationship to others, where you are in your mission, May you be filled with hope. We have one hope, my friends. Wherever you are in your walk, however old you are, there's a vision of the kingdom that is forever and ever and ever. And that is our hope. It's hope in the resurrection. And we have been given the Holy Spirit to remind us of that hope. 
for that hope to overflow and remind us that we are children of God. This morning, we're going to come together to the communion table. And I don't want to rush it. We've got time. And I want you to think this morning. I want you to imagine yourself in in this chair that I'm sitting in, this chair that is the essentials of what we believe. It's also the chair where we are with the one who saved us. There's a couple interesting pictures in the New Testament. There's one where Jesus' disciples are fighting and they're saying, hey, who's, who's the greatest? Jesus says, the one who serves. You must be a servant. There's another scene where Jesus takes the towel out and he washes his disciples' feet. And we can serve in the church, we can serve outside the church when we are filled with the Spirit, when we have an attachment, love, a relationship with Jesus that is stronger than anything else this world has to offer. Now, even before we come to the communion table and we receive the bread and the cup together, I would simply extend the invitation. Some of you this morning, this may be new to you. You may not fully grasp what it means to really follow Jesus, what it really means to hold fast to this core truth that Jesus Christ actually lived on this earth. He actually died and he actually rose. And he defeated the power of sin and death and he, has, he rescues all who believe in him. Some of you today, maybe you've never actually said, Lord, I believe. I want to follow you. Help my unbelief. Just know that you can do that today. You can do that. You can do that right now. We've got folks that will be at tables during the communion as we sing after the service that would be more than happy to help you take that step. But as we're reminded as we come to the table what it means to follow the example of Jesus, we know that it points to the ultimate example of serving. When Jesus gathered his disciples and he said, uh, he broke the bread and after giving thanks he said, this is my body broken for you. May we now receive the bread together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. So this is the blood, this is the blood of the new covenant, blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take, drink, do this in remembrance of me. May we receive the cup together. Let us pray. Father, 
we come to you this morning and we come and we we confess we confess our self-centeredness we confess that we've made so much of our lives about our story our kingdom not yours as we receive the bread and the cup we're reminded Jesus of what you did for us and we say thank you this morning so we ask now that your spirit as your word tells us would testify with our spirit and remind us who we are And we would ask that your spirit would lead us, compel us to love and serve one another in all areas, to all with whom we come in contact, both within the church and for those, the 100,000 in our community that um, don't have a church home and may not know you. Father, may your spirit do what only your spirit can do and lead us and guide us and strengthen us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.